Hi everyone, I hope you're all well and you've had a good week. We've had a, a nice um, week and the weather's been really lovely and um, we went for a walk last week and found these extraordinary yew trees that apparently are, they're in the Sussex Downs and they're over 500 years old, some of them. And they are enormous. They look like something out of a kind of magical children's story. You expect the elves to come jumping out. But that was a, a, a new find for us. Absolutely gorgeous. And I'm very happy this week because my guest is a very special young lady. She's a dear friend. She's a gorgeous actress, a gorgeous lady. It is the unique, the divine, Sienna Miller. Sienna, hello. Hello, my gorge. How are you? How, how are you? You've had a bit um, of a stressful morning with homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's day, the last day of homeschooling and... Yes, very much ready for her to go back. Yeah. I think there's a cheer going off around the whole country of mothers. There will be. Come 3.30 today, it's going to be. Yeah, the big scream will go out. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> I know Car Carly, you know Carly, my daughter, she, yeah. she just said, roll on Monday. And the nice thing is her little girl's desperate to get back to school. I know, yeah, and they're, just have they're all children so to play with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And their teachers, you know. I know. When you're young, you usually love your teachers, don't you? These poor teachers listening in to what they have to deal with. <laughs> it's just a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Oh, I think they're much better behaved in front of their children, their, their teachers, though, don't you? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, um, have you got your cup of tea? I've got my cup of tea. I've got an Earl Grey, Earl Grey with milk. And a bit of honey. Or mm. I got into, what did I get into? Um, Darjeeling recently. Loose leaf Darjeeling. Oh, yeah. But I've run out. What are you having? I've got lemon and ginger at the moment. Oh, yum. But I like all type of tea, actually. I'm a, I'm a, I, I don't drink coffee. It makes me heart palpitate. Does it? Ne yes, it does. It makes it go like that. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely need a coffee these days. <laughs> yeah. No, I've never drunk coffee. The only coffee I sometimes have in, in a restaurant when we're allowed to go back is a decaf cappuccino, but that's just like a hot milkshake, really, isn't it? With a bit of chocolate on top, exactly. <laughs> With a bit of chocolate. Exactly. I think it's the, the sweetness of it. So yeah. now, as well as homeschooling, you're in the middle of filming a big Netflix thing. What is I it? I am. I'm doing this thing. It's called Anatomy of a Scandal, and it's a six-part Netflix drama based on a book. And it's kind of two intertwining plots. So me and Michelle Dockery, who's fantastic, and she's a barrister. And I am married to a character called James, who's played by Rupert Friend. And he's an MP who's accused of rape. And so we kind of go on this, um, on this journey through sort of what the blurred lines of consent might be. Who are the people that you think you know? Are they who you think they are? And... Uh, and we're all somewhat connected. So it's really juicy and exciting. And they're really good at doing this. They just did The Undoing with Nicole Kidman and they did Big Little Lies. So they're, they're a really good, accomplished group of people. But I think it's brilliant what they're doing with, um, you know, because they're, they're taking really good dramatic stories. And it, because you haven't got to cram it all into a two-hour film, you kind of, the actors get more chance to really get into their characters, don't you think? And they can agree. play it out and you've got the time, you know, to get to know them. The only and thing I... that's complicated with this, because I did, I've done one other six-part series called The Loudest Voice, and we shot that one, like, one episode. So episode one, episode two, episode three. Oh, yeah. With this one, we're cross-shooting the episode. So my first oh. ever scene in this was the my penultimate scene of the entire thing, was the first thing I ever shot. So it's quite hard to keep track of six hours of where you're at you know, without going back to the script and rereading it, which is, it takes yeah. a while because it's, the script's fat. Um, so that's, that's tricky, but we'll see. We've got a great director, so hopefully she'll be, she'll be making magic. Oh, it's a woman, room. that's nice. What's her name? S.J. Clarkson. She's fantastic. Oh, brilliant. 
Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. When will that come out? Do you think? I don't know. I maybe the end of this year. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but probably around that time. Yeah. And Michelle is divine, isn't she, Michelle? Dodry. Heaven on earth. She's Please give her love and kisses from me and Lee. I will. I She's will. How so, do you know Because Lee, Lee did. Um, I forget what it was called. They were in like Lithuania or somewhere like that. It was a telefilm. Oh, oh and, I have to um, find it. And and Michelle and Lee kind of like he did with you became great, great, great mates. So I met her when they came back. Hard not to get on with Lee. Oh, I know. Everyone loves him. Young, young actors love Lee. Yeah, he's <laughs> well, he, so he, he becomes like the dad figure, doesn't he? Yeah. Mum and dad, that's you too. Yeah, we became, We. I'm very proud to say I'm your surrogate mother. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to hug you though. I can't wait to hug you again. We met on, it was Casanova, correct? Yes, in Venice. In Venice with yeah. the lovely, sadly departed Heath Ledger playing Casanova, which was yeah. a tragedy for everyone because he was such a lovely, uh, as well as being a brilliant actor, he was such a lovely man, wasn't he? He was the best. But I can remember arriving in Venice because I came to visit Lee um, and meeting you and, and it was just, we just had some good times there, didn't we? <laughs> it was love at first sight. Well, it's, it's kind of hard not to have a good time in Venice, but... It was just so, it was so amazing, that whole job. I mean, it, I think it was the third film I ever did. And they'd say, oh, your boat will pick you up at 5 a.m. And they'd, I'd get in my boat and cross the canal, the Grand Canal, to pick up Heath from his flat, which was opposite yeah. mine. And we'd wrap up in a blanket and he'd share his headphones with me and we'd listen to music as the sun was rising down the Grand Canal. It was just ridiculous. And then, of course, how do you go on to a normal film having lived in Venice for five months? I know. Although I will say by the end of that job, I was I was a bit sick of it. It was just water everywhere. And do you remember <laughs> when it flooded? <laughs> do you remember oh the my... flooding? Yeah. Unbelievable. I know. Lee, we were in a little hotel by the... Uh, that, what's that amazing church? The, not the Sacre... St. Mark's Square. It was opposite St. Mark's Square. You had to get yeah. the boat across. But I can remember we went back one evening, I think, after dinner, and you had to have Wellington boots with you because yeah. we couldn't have got into our hotel. <laughs> waders. Just... We had waders. Yeah, when it got that's really right. Bad. The long Up waders. The yeah. Amazing. Incredible. But, um, but apparently this year, because of this awful bloody COVID that's happened, the good thing is, because the cruise ships haven't been going into Venice, they think that will help a lot. With the eroding. And there were dolphins yeah. in the Grand Canal. Did you hear that? Oh, my goodness. No. I know. Nature just coming back and yeah. having the space to kind of breathe. And I know there have been some good things. It's a change of pace. And, and yeah. yeah, and all the corals started to regrow. I mean, it just, I know. It just goes to show. Yeah, they, I read about a place, I think it was around in Thailand, around that part of the world, yeah. where fish they haven't seen and plants, as you say, underwater plants, they haven't had for years and years and years and years, all coming back. The oh. trouble is, when, when this, please God, does pan itself out, are they, are they all going to come back and ruin it again? <laughs> I hope that some of us have learned a lesson just to change the pace a little bit. Actually, Marlowe's teacher saw a seal in the Thames yesterday. Oh <laughs> I don't goodness. know if that's got anything to do with having the oh, space wow. to be able to get in the Thames, but there was a seal in the Thames, yeah. That's amazing. I and know. the other thing that I've noticed, again, not only to do with the COVID, but you see lots of kids on television who have become, who are... You know, young like Marlowe's age and even younger, like my granddaughter's age, that they're very aware, they're learning at school about the environment and what you should do and 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 and, and they're coming out and talking about it, saying, you know, this is gonna be our world. Stop messing it up. Yeah. So I think I, that I have generation... great faith in that age group, actually. I do too. I think they're the ones that will really be responsible for some serious change and so it's it's good they're also kind of Marlo feels like she's so politicised and I think being inspired by like Greta Thunberg and these, you know, these young activists and it's very, it's it's kind of wonderful to see that happening because it wasn't like that when I was growing up. No, well, it certainly wasn't when I was growing up. 
because I'm, you know, that much older generation than you guys. And um, you don't look it. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but, you know, it's just lovely to watch young people talk about it like that. I mean, Joan is all, that's my granddaughter, she's always telling me things about the environment and, you know, and she calls the COVID the germ. She oh, said yeah, to me last good. night, I can't wait for the germ to go because I want to come and hug and kiss you. Oh, heaven. <laughs> Marla's got into recycling and she's learned all about plastic. And I went into her bedroom the other day and she had a bag of what was dog treats. <laughs> it's like those those chewy sticks with chip, chicken wrapped around. And she's got the empty bag taped to her wall. And I was like, Marla, what are you doing? She's like, well, I don't want to waste it. So as a sort of, <laughs> instead of a poster, she's got <laughs> an empty dog treat packet taped to the wall. I'll send you a picture. I mean, I was—I think she's slightly, she slightly missed the, missed the briefing. That's but so good for her. Funny. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> now, am I right? You were born in New York. Yeah. But you grew up in London. Is that right? Yeah. Explain. Raised in London. Disgust. <laughs> I was born in New York and raised in London from the age of 18 months. And my sister, who's three years older, was born in Hong Kong, moved Ooh. to New York. And then was uh, she was uh, five or four when, she, when we got back to London. So dad was kind of traveling around for work and they got to go and live in different places. And so Sav, my sister, had an American accent. That was her first, her first accent. Wow, that's but, amazing. So, so your dad's American and your mum's South mom's African born? English South African she was born in, in Yorkshire and then moved to oh, South okay. Africa when she was five. But her mum is South African and her dad was English in the Navy. And, in the uh, Navy. In the Navy. <laughs> and barely, she'd, he'd really not spent much time with my grandmother. They, they kind of met, fell in love. She got pregnant. They got married very, very quickly. And then he went off to war for two years. This was in 1943. And when he came back from war, my grandmother said to him, how am I going to recognize you? And he said, I'll be wearing a yellow daffodil. And they met on the train station and because they barely spent any time together. And mum was already born and mum was born during and wow. she was born in an air raid shelter during a bombing thing. Oh, my goodness. That's unbelievable. She'll hate me. I didn't know that. Age. I mean, I know your lovely mum and I love her to bits, but I'd never heard that story. That's amazing. So yeah. you don't, you didn't really live in New York till you grew up. I mean, apart from visits, presumably. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't live there. I moved there when I was 18 to go to drama school. I always had this love affair with it. And I wonder if it's that you just have an affinity with the place that you're born. But I, I think a lot of people fall in love with New York. I know you and Lee always yeah. talked about getting a place and we've spent time together there as well, haven't we? But um, it was such an exciting city, and in our, I mean, I wanted to ask because you you did after Miss Julie on Broadway, didn't you? Yeah. Was that your first time on Broadway? That was my first time on Broadway. Yes. Were you scared? Terrified. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I mean, doing a play for me is always the scariest thing, the most rewarding, but absolutely petrified. And I mean, your first experience on Broadway was far more successful than mine mine was that, that play wasn't as well received as yours was but I've gone on and done others and there is something about Broadway that is magical isn't it? it's exciting isn't it I mean yeah. to be in a, a well number one to be on Broadway is you know I mean I when the thing I did on Broadway came about I can remember when Tommy Tune called me about it. I said, I, I can't do that. And he said, there's no such word as can't. Pack your bag and get over to New York. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and then how long did that show, that show ran for how long, your one? Oh, we ran for 18 months. So it was two years work in all because of preparing it and everything. Did you get sick of it after a while, eight shows a week? It took about, because I'd never done anything like that in my life, I was very, very scared when we opened. But I felt very safe because I trusted Tommy completely and I knew he would never. And we had, a, as a co-director, we had the wonderful Mike Nichols, who oh was never goodness. credited because he came in as a kind of doctor. That's the dream. Yeah, and I I trusted both of them implicitly. And I and so once you try, I, I, I'm sure you'll agree, if you're working with somebody you really trust and admire it gives you great courage I think I mean you're presumably finding this now with this um anatomy of a scandal right yeah she's she's fantastic and she's so accomplished SJ 
she knows exactly what she wants and it's you know you know what it's like different directors have different styles she's she's fully editing as we go along in her head she knows exactly what she wants and she's into sort of strange shots and surrealism so it's yeah, it's it's something that's that's really technical in moments, but she's got such a strong grasp on what that should be. Um, no, a great director does make all the difference. Obviously, I've been on both sides yeah. of the fence with that. Yeah, we we all have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not you more names. than me because you've done so much more. But um, and you've got your new film as you can download it. Can yeah. you? Yeah, on the eighth of March. So depending when this comes out, but yeah, it's um, Wonder Darkly. That's right. Yeah, because yeah, they, 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 sadly, my link fell out. I think I told you. We, yeah, you did. They sent me the link to watch it. And like all technical things, I watched <laughs> about 10 minutes and I was climbing the wall. 50, but it's, it looks amazing. And I, I, when, when it comes out properly, I will watch it. I'll watch it from the beginning to all the end. All the way through. But it, oh, God. Yeah. And the, who, who directed that? That was a woman called Tara Mealy, and she actually wrote and directed it. And it's me and Diego Luna. And it's, again, it's it's really surreal. It's sort of about a woman who, um, she's in a car accident with her boyfriend and comes round or doesn't. She she doesn't know whether she lived or she survived or died in the car accident. So she's That's kind right. of, I got, go I got on this that journey. far, yeah. yeah. You got that bit. <laughs> I can't and wait to see the rest because I want to know, yeah, I want to know what twist. happens. Lots of twists and turns and, you know, it's heavy emotion, but it's moving. I think it's a good film for right now because it's it's sort of exploring what grief is. And I think we've all been in such a strange state of global grief, collective grief, that it's, it's there's something comforting about, about exploring a space where you just have no idea where you are, who you are, which is how I think we've all felt for the past however many months it's been now. And did you shoot that in America? I shot that in LA, which is always nice, yeah. I love filming there it's gorgeous weather but I couldn't live there no I, no we have lived there because of work but um I don't think it's a long-term lived place New York New York I probably could actually I love New York I know I, I miss uh... it are you gonna because you were gonna get a place we were we almost did actually at one point whether we yeah, will now probably not but the great thing about being in New York you know especially if you're doing a play because sometimes after you've been in the city for a few weeks you do need to get out because it is quite manic yeah. and very crowded is that you you know an hour two hours and you're on either upstate new york or long island and, or over yeah. to new jersey into the lakes i mean it's just i i just and i just love the the sensibility of new yorkers what do you want when you're going to guess <laughs> i'm walking here <laughs> when I'm lee first me. went there to do his first thing in New York he said he can remember going into a bar and saying could I have a beer please and the barman said to him what's a beer please <laughs> that's hysterical I remember when I first moved there when I was 18 I just turned 18 and I was starting to go to drama school to the Lee Strasberg school and it was so exciting and I walked I was staying on my aunt's sofa and I remember walking down Broadway and I was hungry and the class started at nine but this was like 7 30 in the morning and I went into a cafe and it was filled with people and you know the pace of I just had no idea what I was doing basically but I went up to the to the lady and everyone was screaming their orders and I went um hi can I please get um some scrambled eggs on an English muffin toasted please with um some bacon or something and and you know they did this very long lengthy order and she just went Adam and Eve on a bat wreck them <laughs> That was what she said. <laughs> Adam and Eve is, I guess, bacon and eggs on a bat, wreck them, which means wreck the eggs, scramble them. But it was so funny. They are hysterical. They don't have filters over there. No. No, no filter. Um, what, was, what, was the, what was your first film, Layer Cake? Yes. My first yeah, I film. Remember, I loved that film. It was brilliant. I haven't seen it since it came out, which is an embarrassingly long time ago, even though it feels like literally yesterday. It was a kind of ga gangster. A gangster film. Yeah, yeah. It was well, fun. We all, I remember absolutely... I don't think I've seen it since it came out, but I remember absolutely loving it. And I didn't know you then, so... And oh. I just thought, oh, who's this gorgeous creature? <laughs> In her undies. 
<laughs> in her undies. In her undies. <laughs> I've still got those undies somewhere. I need to dig them out. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they are. Oh, that's so going. funny. Yeah, what year was that? <gasps> oh, my goodness. That would have been 2002. Oh, gosh. Oh, you were, you were a baby. Years, no, I was, I was 21, so I'm 39 now. Yeah. So, yeah, 19 years ago, oh. 2003. Wow. Do you have a favourite film you did? You know, I've, I've, I've almost loved all of them. I've done the experience of making them. I did one that came out last year called American Woman, and I think that's, that's the proudest I've been because I, I, it was such a hard film to make and it was such a labour of love, but it was... But I, I had a kind of magical experience, which I know you and I have talked about, where you where suddenly, you know, as opposed to having to really search for emotion or, or feel it out, everything was kind of available. Something about that woman and I just clicked the character I was playing. And we we made it in Boston, but the director is English, Jake Scott. He's Ridley's son. And the DP was English, John Matheson. So it was sort of like having lived in New York for three years, being suddenly surrounded by all these English people. And so it felt really familial and cosy and and it was just a great role. Yeah, a great role. Yeah. I, I have to say, well, I haven't seen every single film you've done, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> and I thought you were amazing as uh, in Factory Girl as Edie. Is it Factory Girl? Is that what it was called? With playing yes. Edie Sedgwick? Yeah. You were amazing in that. Absolutely that was amazing. That fun as well, actually. And all about Warhol and the factory. I know that you went to yeah. the factory, which I love. I, I love you talking about that. But meeting, I met so many of the people who survived it, and but were completely sort of frazzled from all the drugs they took. Um, Bridget Berlin, who used to do the boob paintings, and you know all these characters, these really proper sixties characters that were so eccentric. A bunch of misfits, and and hearing all their stories. And I just researching that film. I did it for about a year and. Guy Pierce and I lived in the Chelsea Hotel, which was still going, and the, the manager was still the same manager that had been there when Edie set the room on fire and had, again, oh just all these God. stories. But I think I was born in the wrong era, or maybe I was alive then and died and came back because I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. But what was your factory story? Because I love you talking about Well, you know, again, it was that, that trip to New York when I first went in. Yeah. So as well as working, because I went into work for Vogue and I did a couple of advertising campaigns, I was kind of invited to places and, you know, I went on chat shows and things like that because I was this very peculiar looking child from England. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was weird because if you see film of that, there's there's an old documentary, Bert Stern shot a documentary of my visit there. And if you see part of that film I'm walking down Fifth Avenue on Easter Sunday and I've got a really really short mini skirt and a little faux fur jacket thing and my funny little skinny legs and my short hair and Mm. there's there's um other people because it was very crowded it was Easter Sunday coming towards me and and young girls and the the documentary man was saying do you know who this is and they were saying oh yes Twiggy and they were all in knee-length skirts girls my age with kind of pillbox hat you know it hadn't crossed to America yet that kind of look so I I actually look a bit like an alien (laughs) I'm gonna literally after this I'm gonna hang up and go straight to find that because I can't believe I haven't seen it I don't know whether you find it online. I, 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 if I've got a copy, so I mean, it's an amazing documentary just for the social aspect of it, of yeah. what people looked like, and and they stop at the end. I think it's at the end of the the episode. They stop a middle aged couple. The man's got his rain raincoat on, tied up, and he's got a trilby on, and the woman's got her Easter Sunday bonnet, and they say to them. Do you know who that girl? I go past and they say, Do you know those? And he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that little girl from England, Twiggy. She'll <laughs> last a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Didn't you show them, Twig? It's so funny. It just makes yeah. you, and it, you know, and he was right. It was, it was kind of madness. But the, the difference between how we were dressing yeah. and how long it took to get there was quite extraordinary. And then was just full of I mean, the talent in this country was just amazing, wasn't it? Was that the yeah. best decade? Do you think? What was the best? What was your favourite decade? What, for clothes or for living? Just for like, just general. <laughs> the, your happiest and the most exciting. Uh, it wasn't that period. I mean, 
when you're living through a period, it's only in hindsight that you look back and think, oh, that was actually an amazing time. But, you know, I was a teenager and what happened to me was extraordinary. And I just I just kind of enjoyed it. But I think I I, I was terribly insecure because I didn't plan to do any of that. You know, it was as big a shock to me as to anyone else what happened to me. And I was very shy and very insecure. So I, I, although I enjoyed the work and it was extraordinary to be thrown into that world. And, you know, because I'd just gone to school and lived in northwest London. That's all I'd ever done. I'd never been abroad. I'd never, you know, I'd hardly been up to the West End. We used to go up the West End probably twice a year to go shopping oh. in Oxford Street. That was a big... <laughs> So it was weird, but um, no, I think I probably, probably the 80s was good because I did the Broadway show and then I met Lee and I could see a view forward. Um, but I've enjoyed most of my my different decades, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think you kind of have to. I mean, there's ups and downs. There's of horrible course. things happen, sad things. You lose people, but, you know, then you carry on and find something else have you got a favorite period it's funny you know I've always managed to find the fun even if it's been challenging I think what was I think when I first started working that was such an exciting time I think I you know I could I just at school I I wasn't that focused and I just couldn't wait to start living life and I had such a clear idea that this is what I wanted to do and then when it when I started to do it it was all just so exciting um So, yeah, my early 20s were great. But then having Marla at 30 and raising a little girl and settling down and, you know, all of that's been really nice too. But, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I don't know, people, I'm going to be 40 at the very end of this year. And You're I, not. I am. Look, I am. You look about 22. Like <laughs> Likewise, after you. Well, not quite. I don't do. feel it. But, I mean, in a way, that kind of, the feeling of getting settled, I know people, you know, 40 felt so old when I was younger, and that, and now it feels, mm. just, I mean, I don't feel any different, quite frankly, to I always did. But there is a kind of settledness, like less anxiety and less, you're just a bit more secure in who you are. And so i kind of looking forward to it all. Yeah, I think I think with age you do get more secure. I mean, because I was so insecure and so shy and nervous of everything and everyone. Yeah. Whereas when you get older and you gain a bit of experience, that kind of shows in the way you are, I think. Yeah, you don't care as much what people think. No. Yeah, exactly. Relief. Yeah. I was always terrified of saying the wrong thing or upsetting somebody. Now I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Or just, you know, hang out with people you want to hang out with and see people. You kind of become more picky, don't you, I think? Yeah, I always remember my mum saying, you know, when I was a teenager or a kid, oh, these are the best years of your life, enjoy them. And it was so hard being a teenager. And I find myself saying it to Marlo, like, you know, she can't wait to, to be a grown-up and to do exciting things. And I just, you want to say kind of enjoy it while it lasts. But, of course, you, you don't feel it when you're in it, do you? You look back on it, like you said, and appreciate what you had but we're pretty lucky people aren't we hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I was going to say, how have you coped through this year? But, you know, all the people I've mainly talked to, we tend to be the luckier people because of what we do, where we live. And you suddenly think of some people and you wonder how they've coped. I mean, unbelievable. It's been a very very tricky year i mean how how has Mar- marlo dealt with it do you sit and talk about it and she's just such, she's so adaptable i think because because we've kind of traveled around and she's been on set and she's you know she's moved around a lot she's she's loved being at home she loves having me around all the time and and she's an only child so i was a little bit worried about the lack of you know socialization but she's also really mature so we 
she's got me and I obviously can act like an eight-year-old often. So (laughs) (laughs) we've actually kind of loved it to the point where she's, I think she's, Marla, you can just sort of pick her up and drop her anywhere and she's just adaptable. She just manages. And like you said, I feel so lucky to have a place where we've got some outside space and we've got, you know, I've had a job to go and do now and then and I've got help with her because of that job. And so it's, it's, you know, I cannot complain. 2020 was so rough for everyone, I think, but I had a really challenging time personally. And so, I don't know, this, it, it all feels like there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and, and like, you know, we've fared much better than most. We're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I really do feel there's a light now that the... Well, it seems, I mean, I only watch it on the news like everybody, that the vaccination rollout is going better than they imagined and yeah. they're performing better than they imagined. So I just want everyone to get vaccinated so we can all see each other and... Completely agree. <laughs> hug and... I know. You know, but I'm, I, I do... I think it's going to take a while and it'll be interesting as you said earlier to see how this will affect our future life yeah i know i hope i hope some good things will come out of it me too yeah and i hope hope we don't have to live with pandemics forever i want the mask you know the masks are obviously the most important part of of not spreading it but i but i'm looking forward to seeing full faces again as well i know i know although i do think it would be wise for i mean i don't know how long they'll make it um, mandatory but I think like on public transport and maybe yeah. shopping one should wear masks for a while I agree just for your safety and everyone else's yeah and you can get some very pretty masks now so <laughs> my problem is my, gla- my I wear glasses a lot and they steam up yeah you have the to put the top pain. of the mask underneath the bridge of your glasses yeah, yeah. The, the best ones are the ones with the metal underneath that mould to the schnoz. And then you put your glasses on top and wedge (laughs) (laughs) Wedge it in. I wanted to ask you about, um, because a few years back you did a brilliant collection with your gorgeous, lovely sister, Savannah. Yeah. Um, 2812, right? Yeah. I love those. Yeah, you clothes. had a bit, you had a few pieces from there. Oh, I loved them. It was Me so and Carly fun. were pretty obsessed with them. Oh. I think I've still I've still got a couple of jackets and coats. Have you? I mean at the moment I'm living in sweatshirts, but um, um, yeah. who isn't? <laughs> I um, haven't put anything smart on for a year. No, me neither. Pajamas. <laughs> but how did that all come about? Well, Savannah went to, she went to Central St. Martin's and she was, she did uh, women's wear and knitwear. And it's obviously the best school. She'd actually, she was doing religious studies at Edinburgh and then felt like that wasn't her passion. So she dropped out of there and then got accepted into St. Martin's and went, which was just so inspiring. So she was, she really had a clear vision and she was really talented. And she then got hired by Alexander McQueen to be his PA and work in that studio. And so she kind of absorbed a lot of incredible artistry. Um, and then somebody approached me about doing a label, actually the people who owned Pepe Jeans, because I did a campaign for them. And That's I how said, you did the campaign for them. Yeah. And I said, I'll do it if I can do it with my sister. And they said, fine. And so we just thought it would be a fun thing to do. And initially it was, it was heaven and we had such great ideas and such big plans. And then because it was quite a corporate structure, we, you know, you're suddenly, we imagined sort of whatever we wanted to wear, we would make, but then you're doing you have to do a certain style of jean for the over 60s that's sort of a certain type and it it just it kind of the creativity got a little bit zapped we felt a little bit controlled and and we didn't have full control in the end and so um you know it was also really time consuming to do and I I couldn't really focus on my work and give that as much oh gosh I know I've done I've done a few different collections yeah it is it can be it can become you know pretty full time yeah and if you're doing a suddenly doing a film, you can't you can't you know if you're doing a film, you have to lock into that. Totally, you, there's no way you could. But then, I'm glad you did it for the Fury. But but Savannah still designs, doesn't she's she? Still she's designed. still got. Yeah, she's got she's got a really exciting collaboration that's coming out soon that I can't even mention. Oh, and she does. Um, she it, she was at Debenhams, which obviously went under, and that was a big disaster. But she's got this amazing bridal company where she does wedding dresses. 
um, just under her name, Savannah Miller. Oh, I bet she's brilliant she's at that. Fantastic. She's such a romantic, so she loves the idea of <laughs> of kind of making that day for people special, and and the designs are exquisite. And I think she should take that into evening wear, and you know, expand that, and then do the kind of high street thing as well. She's amazing. But you know, you became you became you know a bit what happened to me happened to you that everything you wore. I mean, a different decade, but yeah. everything you wore, every young girl wanted. And I mean, was that a surprise to you that you became this fashion icon, really? I mean, every, every young girl wanted to get a dress or a skirt or a top like Sienna's. I mean, <laughs> it was it really was weird. And I... you do cl- wear clothes brilliantly, I have to say. I mean, I'm glad no one can see me right now because obviously, really, in my, <laughs> you and me both. Um, no, you know, I'd, I'd always loved clothes and I and I loved going to markets and vintage fashion stores and Portobello and I'd find these things and wear them and it was quite wacky what I wore. But then obviously, I, you know, I, I, it happened very fast like it did with you overnight where suddenly there were photographers outside my flat. But from one day to the next, it was really an overnight thing and that was that was quite hard to adjust to. And, and then when people, people just liked what I wore and then it kind of got, but then it got frustrating because I'd walk past the high street and see my beautiful kind of Moroccan belt that I'd found in some obscure market being sold, you know, and, and the perfect replica for like three quid, <laughs> you know, yeah. or my mum's gorgeous dresses that she'd kept from Aussie Clark and stuff that she that would get take, ripped off. Or A.D., Tori's mum, A.D. Hunter, yeah. cook. She used to give me all of our old Aussie stuff because... Tori turned out to be six foot and me and Aidy were the same size. So it was perfect. <laughs> I actually got a jacket off her the other day. She kept all oh, of her you? bits. But um, no, I suppose it was, it was nice. And it's, it's funny looking back on it because it all looks quite dated now. But at the time it was, it just hit the zeitgeist oh, somehow. Oh, it was, it was such a, it was, it was a new kind of look. Well, I, mean, I just was copying you probably. Like it's, everything comes, <laughs> <laughs> everything comes from but, somewhere you know, else. You and Jane Birkin. Well, everything of, does. My, my obsession, even in the 60s, was actually, I used to collect dresses and jackets from the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Because to me, that was the most... And I can remember the first time... Well, first or second time I went to LA, somebody took me to a vintage store in Venice Beach, which was a bit dodgy then. It was quite dangerous, actually. But we drove up and you could... There was a few streets that you could safely get out of the car (laughs) and go into the store without being gunned down. Um, Can't believe it now because Venice Beach is so beautiful. Yeah. and gorgeous but it was a bit dodgy then and we went into this amazing I thought I died and gone to heaven this amazing vintage store and they had dresses from the studios from the Ah. actresses in the 30s and and I remember the woman saying oh thank god you've come in we got these dresses and nobody fits because I was you know I was like you I was minute and these are me I've still got a couple just to I mean I couldn't get into them now but these amazing I remember one was kind of flesh-coloured pink satin cut on the cross and all the back was tiny little covered buttons. And it was tiny. I mean, it fitted me. And I bought about half a dozen of them and they weren't expensive. And a couple of them had the the actresses' names inside. Wow! They were absolutely... And so that was my obsession. Have you all your clothes? Have you still got a a bulging... I I can't believe I've never even looked through your wardrobe. How have I not done that? No, I didn't realise. I was... You know you know what it's like? When you're a teenager, you don't think somebody in 40 years' time (laughs) is going to want my clothes. I kept... I tell you what I kept. I kept a few very special things that Bill Gibb made me. He was my friend and a brilliant designer. Yeah. And we lost him far too young, I'm afraid. But he was a genius. And he was really the forerunner to, like, the Galeanos and people like that because he did very romantic... Well, I'm sure you know his clothes. Actually, a few of them that he made for me, they're in in the V&A because they're such beautiful clothes. And um, and Aussie. I had a few Aussie Clarks, like your mum. Yeah. But I didn't keep... And, and Bieber, Bieber, that was my other great say. passion. Yeah. 
And she's one of my dearest friends, Barbara, Barbara Hanuki. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's, have you ever met her? I think I have met her with Aidy because they're she's good friends. She's extraordinary. Yeah. Well, if, if we're ever in the same city again one day, you'd love her and she'd love you. Oh. She lives in Miami, actually, but she's an extraordinary woman. I love her to bits. Oh. But her club, her, I was obsessed with Bieber. Absolutely obsessed. But so I've got a few little bits, but I, you know, I didn't keep my day to day clothes. And my daughter tells me off every year, Mom, why didn't you keep? <laughs> like me with my mum, I know she just she only kept a few things, and then I've, I've lost all of mine. I was so scatterbrained and sort of, I don't know where. <laughs> and I think I used to have parties at the house, and people would just go into my cupboard and nick stuff. I can't, I can't <laughs> find any of it. Not one coin belt, not one anything. I don't know where. Maybe one day it'll turn up. Now, the other thing I want to ask, because I bet nobody knows this about you, <laughs> that you are the most wonderful cook. Oh, I, I You cooking. cooked us one of the best Sunday lunches I've ever had in Venice. And I have to say, Sienna Miller makes the best roast potatoes <laughs> in the world. <laughs> that was a particularly good one, but we always talk about that roast. I need to make you another one, because I think there was something about that, getting all that produce from, you know, the Italian, the vegetable market that was right by yeah. my flat. Oh, Do you remember true. It was all just the yeah. best, the best produce. But no, I do love a roast. I think that's, yeah, I will go down in history as having world-famous gravy. By the <laughs> that's right. But your roast potatoes. Although the other person, we'll have to, you'll have to have a competition, is Michael Caine makes excellent <laughs> roast potatoes. <laughs> He's apparently, you can have a bit of potato, roast potato off. <laughs> Oh, I love That's him. So that would be funny. heaven round you. Oh, he's, he's an amazing man. But um, So do you cook a lot? Well, you can't when you're working, I suppose. I do. No, I do. I cook all the time. But Marlo's quite fussy. She's not, she'll, she'll, she eats weird things, but she won't, like, she doesn't like rice and she doesn't, it's just, she's got a quite an obscure palate, but she'll eat like a fish eye. You know, she'll try an oyster, <laughs> but she won't eat mashed potatoes. So... Um, it's quite How challenging. Weird. She's a tough critic, but I do, I do cook. And actually, in the first lockdown, I really got into it. I was making bread, and um, yeah. it's just really therapeutic. I'm, I'm quite a busy person in my head, and I'm always flitting about and doing things. And so, it's the one time that I feel like I focus and get quite still as when I'm cooking. Where, where do you think of as home? Do you think of England as home, London, or, or New York? Or? I mean, I feel at home in both places. I think when I land. In London, I'm definitely home. And when you get in a cab and you have a chat and, you know, the sense of humour and and the traditions and a good pub and a good Sunday roast. But I, I really, my friends in New York were mostly English and we still did Sunday roast every Sunday in New York. And it was, uh-huh. and there, there was something, I don't know, there's something about that city that anyone can be a New Yorker. It'll have anyone. And I love that philosophy, whereas England's a little bit harder to penetrate. But of course, this is home. I'll always be an English girl, but I but I definitely feel pretty at home there and weirdly quieter. My life there is sort of smaller and, and more relaxing, even though it's the busiest city in the world, pretty much. Um, I don't know how that happened, but it just sort of suits me. I want you to tell me, I, I don't, we sadly didn't get in to see it, but you did um, cabaret, didn't you, in New York? I did. It was the happiest I had ever been. Yeah. That is, I, <sighs> That's a great role for you. A it great was role. Heaven. Actually, I bet you, you would have amazing. been amazing in Sally Bowles as well. But I should have done you it should've. many, many years ago. I think it's the best. I think that's my, that I've peaked. That was about as happy as I'll ever be. But singing and dancing on Broadway was, it was just heaven on earth. And there were, you know, there were days, I, I actually got the flu for the first time in my life six days before I started. And, oh. um, and, and then was on steroids for the whole run just to keep me going because I never quite got over mm. it. And of course, if you're sweating and singing and, you know, exercising every night yeah. when you're not well, it's not great. So I, I was kind of this, it, it was, I was sort of wrecked, which is perfect for her. But every night that I was just exhausted, <laughs> yeah, my voice blew, but she can be like terrible at singing Sally because she's just a, oh, a nihilist. Um, every time I heard that band play to go down, you know, they'd start playing before we started the show and, Alan coming, be walking around in a G-string, um, you know, coming into the dressing room for a wee chat before we went on. And, you know, it was just like, it was magical. And, and yeah, and the music just got me through. But if I, if I hear that, there's a recording of it, not from the run that I did, but if I hear that song, I start to get shaky and my adrenaline goes up. Like it's, it's a really cellular memory, that show. But 
I would have gone on for another year easily. I loved it. No, it's an amazing. It is, and it's, and you're right. It's one that I, when I first saw this new version of it, I thought, oh gosh, I wish they'd have done this <sighs> 25 years ago. So I you would have, have been perfect because it's. It is one of the great female, but a killer role because yeah. not only the singing and the dancing, it's that mo- emotional journey that she goes through. I know she's such a tragic. Oh, I love, yeah. I loved it. I love those. She breaks your heart, actually. Yeah, she does. It was just the best. I know, and I, I, I'd love to do it again. I'm probably getting a bit too old for it now, but we'll I don't think you are. What about doing it in London? I know. I've been, I've been kind of talking to people about it, but the thing is, is that that. That production of it, the Sam Mendes production, it was such an iconic. I mean, I think he got that right. Whatever that version, what his version of yeah. that play is the version. And I think he's done it now four times. He's And I asked him, he's like, I cannot do it again. I've, I've done it. I've done it. I've said yeah. everything I need to say about it. And, and then having talked to other directors about doing it, and they're sort of like, well, how do you beat that production? You know, so I kind yeah. of have to, have to let it go, but. I guess it's good to, to leave you wanting more. I've definitely got to the end of runs of plays. That's and, very true. That's yeah. very true. Um, the other thing I want to say I thought you were brilliant in was The Edge of Love oh, with Kira Knightley. Yeah. I love that film. If anyone hasn't seen this film, I'm sure you can get it on some Somewhere. technical place. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just punching The Edge of Love with Sienna and Kira, Kira Knightley. It's such a good... It's about... Um, Dylan Thomas, right? Yes. Yeah. Did you love doing that? I loved it. We lived in Wales, which I hadn't spent enough time in Wales. It's it's sort of my spiritual home. I just thought it was the most beautiful, magical place. Mm. And John Mabry directed it, who was a friend of mine before. And actually, Lindsay Lohan was supposed to play my part. And then I think she, she failed the insurance test or something. They couldn't insure her. There was something that went wrong. And John called me up and I was on a beach in... Mexico and he said get out of the sun you're coming to England and I went and turned up and I think about three weeks later we were shooting and I had to be Irish Killian Murphy was in it as well and Matthew Reese. but it was it was just lovely because it was really about it was really focused around female friendship as much as anything you know it was about Dylan Thomas and this extraordinary thing that happened in his life but it was the relationship between the two women that was really the backbone of it and Kira and I had been friends and her mother wrote the script. It was a really familial affair, but I did love it. I did. It's one of my favourite films, actually. I I think it's really special. Oh, it is. is. Not because I love you and know you, but because it's just a really good film. Mm. I love, you know, it's it's about people, that film, and about, you know, their interaction. And I love things like that. Yeah, I do too. I've been kind of, through the lockdown, I've kind of, I've got into watching a lot of kind of um, foreign TV and, and film things with subtitles. What have which you seen that you love? Because he hates them. <laughs> there's, there's the. Did you ever see the bridge? The Scandinavian. No, but I heard it's amazing. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to start got, it. There's a girl. There's a woman in that that is so bloody brilliant. She's the lead. I can't remember her name. Yeah. That's the other thing because you don't know anybody. You yeah. kind of get really into the story I've written it's that called down. the bridge i think it's quite old now i think I, that was about five six years ago but her character she's a she's a police woman but she's um slightly autistic oh. so her reaction to things is very different to how you would somebody else. yeah you're lovely oh, and, and 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 the, they're usually like nine and ten parts and there's one it's one storyline amazing and it's called the bridge because it's about crossing you know from sweden to denmark i think oh wow got me geography right <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me i've never been strong on that front Oh, I'll watch it. Huh? That's exciting. That's exciting. No, I think you'd enjoy it. If you don't mind subtitles. No, I like Unless them. you can speak Swedish or Danish or whatever it's in. No, can't do but, that. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a really good... There's been a few, actually. I can't remember the names of all of them, but I've, I've, I've become quite hooked. I got into true crime documentaries and I've freaked myself out so much that I've had to... Oh, yeah, Carly was watching <sighs> those. I, I don't think I could watch those. I had those. terrible nightmares and then I've now had to detox off them. Because they're so <laughs> gripping, but they're, they're really, they make them so well these days, but, and they're completely addictive, no, obviously. Too horrible. But it's a bit horrible, yeah. Too horrible. Yeah. So you've got a few more weeks of filming left, yeah? Three and a half weeks left. 
And then trying to figure out whether we stay in London or whether we go back to New York. Or I, I don't know how anyone makes a decision in this moment. I can barely get through, you know, the next hour. Um, I know. Time's gone so wonky, but I'm just, I'm just sort of trying to weigh up all the pros and cons of each place and yeah. see what's going to happen. I'm with sure work. something. Well, you know, in as as you know, and has been your life is you're a bit of a gypsy when you're a performer. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. something will either take you somewhere that will make that decision for you. That's what I'm hoping and for. And I mean, we talked before about it. As long as you and Marlo are together, that's the most important thing. Exactly. I'm hoping a big hand's going to come out of the cloud and just point and I'll be like, ah, this way to your future. Fine. <laughs> Off we go. Well, I'm going to let you get back to your home school. Oh, don't. <laughs> Stay on the phone. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much. Thanks for having me, Twig. Come in and have a cup of tea with me. I can't wait till we can do it properly. I know. I love you. I love you too. Will you give my love to your mama? I will. She's downstairs. And a big kiss to Marlo. As soon as this is over, <laughs> we're going to come and visit. Yeah. We'll see each other very, very soon. Thank you. Ah, oh, what a lovely girl. She's so special and she's doing such wonderful work. And do try and catch Wonder Darkly, which, as I said, I saw the beginning of it and I will now go in and see the rest of it. It's her new film and um, one to catch up with. Anyway, I hope you have a good week and I'll see you next time. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. heard a stripped media production. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.